So I'm here with John Dunstan, who was a panellist in our Oral 2 workshop. Thank you for coming, John. My pleasure. Um, you've been both chairman of the Quaker School's Heads Conference and vice president of the Oxford Jewish Congregation. Um, so my question is whether you would say there are different varieties of religious silence. Is there a difference between a Quaker silence and a Jewish silence, say? It's a fascinating area, which um, I had to explore when I when I moved to a Quaker school. Um, mm. I'd, I'd experienced some silences in Jewish worship, but there aren't many right. in my experience, my limited experience. Uh, there are certain specified times in the, the, the Shabbat, the Sabbath morning service, for mm -hmm. example, where there is silence. Mm. Um, after the repetition of one of the long prayers, the Amida, mm -hmm. that's repeated in silence. But it's not total silence because there's a, there's a sort of undertow of muttering as people uh, repeat the words to themselves. Yes, um, or, or just mouth them. And also after the main prayer, the fundamental prayer of Judaism, the Shema, about the oneness of God, there's often then a silence, a short silence, during which um, congregants can, can read some subsequent paragraphs or think about what they've just uh, spoken or read. But it's not long. It passes very quickly. Mm. Uh, and my understanding of Quaker silence was that it's, it's completely different because nothing's programmed. There's nothing to read right. unless uh, people bring something themselves. Uh, the, the table in the centre of a Quaker meeting will always have on it uh, a Bible and uh, a copy of the book of Quaker writings called, um, well, it varies, Quaker Faith and Practice. It's, mm. it's upgraded or rewritten every 30 years or so. Mm. And there are inspirational passages in there from, from Quaker writers uh, over the centuries. And sometimes someone from the meeting will simply go and pick up a book and, and read in it. Mm. And then maybe maybe put it back sometime later. Mm. But a full meeting lasts an hour, which is at the beginning is quite a long time. But it is deliberately so, so that there is time. Uh, it's not a it's not a finite silence. It feels infinite uh, because there there is time to step back from the world. Mm. It takes time to to shut the world out. Yeah. Uh, of course, there is sound. There might be bird song or. A, train passing or anything like that which you wouldn't normally notice mm. so those bits of noise you pick up but it but eventually they they disappear you forget those as well and you're left with this this uh, oral space mm. in which therefore there's there's an opportunity to be listening mm. listening um in in quaker terms to to what god might be requiring of us but also listening to what um, what others at the meeting might have shared, might have said, because mm -hmm. there is spoken ministry. Yeah. But it's always followed by silence. And that might be three, four, five, ten minutes silence mm. between one piece mm -hmm. of ministry mm -hmm. and another, mm. uh, which is time for everyone to reflect, to uh, to come to understand what it is they they think about what they've mm -hmm. heard. Mm. Uh, and then the, the meeting, it begins as people walk in they walk into a silence there's no formal start which mm. is different again and there is a formal end but not with anything spoken but with a silent handshake the elders uh, at, the, or at the front of the, the meeting would would shake hands and then everyone around the meeting will mm. shake hands with whoever with whoever's nearby mm. 
and then come notices and coffee and we, we return to yes. the, the brightness of the secular world. Yes. So it's a very different type of silence in which you, you're not focusing on a prescribed text, as yes. we would say in Judaism, um, but you're, you're focusing on nothing so that something else can fill that space. And I, I've experienced a different sort of Christian silence um, when, um, when visiting say, a Benedictine monastery mm. uh, after the office there, particularly the, the late night offices. Uh, and then after, when the bell stops to call everyone, that heavy, deep bell, there's silence then before, before, thing, before anything happens. Mm. And out of the silence, I found the plain song emerges, the most wonderful plain song. And then after the office, which has a, a liturgy and... Um, I suppose sometimes silence during it, but at the very end, when uh, those of us who've been privileged to be there, mm. absorbed in it, we wait and watch as the monks themselves move out, and they they don't walk, they glide, and mm. then there's an almost um, seamless genuflection uh, before the cross as they, so they go down and mm. come up with one graceful movement and and walk out. But all of that is in complete silence. Mm-hmm. And it's a different sort of silence. Again, it's a mm-hmm. fulfilling silence mm-hmm. because the worship is done and the monks are going off to more silence in their in their cells. Mm-hmm. Whereas we then, after a short break as visitors, would have then exited and mm-hmm. returned to the, the noisy world again. See, my, my experiences of um, Anglican services um, is that there's not much built-in silence. There is some silence, I think, after the general confession, a few seconds. And then sometimes um, the celebrant will stop after blessing the um, bread and wine. Mm. And that's a very um, solemn silence. It's a very, um, I think, the sense is that, you know, it's the presence of the divine. And it's very theatrical silence as well, because yes. bread and wine have been held up. So, But you can't really tell these silences from the outside. So when I've been to Quaker meetings, I've looked at people and thought, some people look as though they're thinking about the shopping list, and some people look extremely profoundly engrossed. And probably the ones who look as though they're thinking about the shopping list are the ones who are very attuned to the divine in that moment. So yes. you can't really read it from outside. Um, so you've been um, headmaster of two Quaker schools. Um, what would you say is the role of um, silence? Is there a role for silence in educating young people about commemoration? Uh, I'd um, in in the schools where I worked and the schools that I attended as a child, uh, silence wasn't on the agenda at all. No, me neither. Uh, and my understanding of silence, in as much as I had one, uh, was that it was generally punitive. Yes. Uh, you would be sat in silence. Uh, of whatever, uh, but silence as a as a positive part of a of a day uh, didn't exist in my experience, and uh, that was a revelation when I went to Quaker schools and found there that there were um, not only short periods of silence at the beginning of each um, assembly or meeting or collect whatever mm-hmm. it might be called mm-hmm. in each school, but um, on certain days there would be a longer period of silence, maybe quarter of an hour. Mm-hmm or half an hour, when the whole school would gather, and uh, it would be a meeting, a meeting for worship, and hundreds of pupils, uh, even for the half an hour, would be there, um, aged between 13 and 18, and the meeting would begin in silence. There would at some point be some 
ministry. Mm. Uh, on the whole, uh, somebody would start it off. Um, and then there would be more silence. What astonished me was the degree to which pupils grew into that, um, having had no experience of it um, when they arrived, because mm. the vast majority of pupils at Quaker schools are not from Quaker backgrounds. Right. Okay. They've never come across this before, but they or their parents have found something attractive about the values of the school, mm. um, but they have no idea <laughs> what they're letting themselves in for when yeah. the silence comes along. Uh, and watching uh, pupils' attitudes to silence change over the years was fascinating because at the beginning, of course, they maybe with shorter periods of silence, they, they'll they talk about the silence, but they might just be thinking about their next maths test or what, how long away lunch is or sure. whatever. It's not yes. necessarily spiritual, but it doesn't matter because they're enveloped in the silence of the community. And... Um, almost subconsciously they, they accept that and they, they become part of the silence and then as they grow grow older they themselves contribute to the ministry uh, and uh, that was those those ministries from pupils were I think amongst the most moving and powerful contributions to worship mm. I think that I've ever heard mm. uh, speaking with a maturity and a, a, a personal integrity and 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 um, openness that you wouldn't expect in a school context where sometimes it's maybe felt to be uh, not very cool to show emotion or right. to talk about your grandmother who died the night before or whatever it might be mm. uh, it's not just it's not therapy it's not um, just offloading their, their their concerns about something but it's a genuine attempt to share with the rest of the gathered community um, something that they feel is um, that speaks to them at that moment. It might be to do with, with e ecology mm -hmm. uh, or poverty or hunger or big world issues. Yeah. Uh, it might be things closer to home. And what I found remarkable was the, the capacity of young people to listen. Uh, the capacity to listen is a phrase that I learned from one of my mentors at, at Quaker schools. Mm. And it's true that I think we don't give young people enough opportunity really to listen mm. they turn up at, a, at an assembly in school very often that's what we do traditionally isn't it yes and there are some schools that still have hymn reading and yes, prayer yes. Um, uh, and some uplifting talk and 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 sometimes i i used to feel when when attending assemblies elsewhere that you'd hear these wonderful thoughts about loving your neighbor and and um looking after others and and and, and so on and then you'd go straight on to the sports results and we thrashed, yes. you know, Blogsville High, 26-0. Yes. And, yes. and I found that very difficult. There was a disconnect <laughs> between the one and the other. Yeah. Um, but to take that analogy further, I've, I learned that through this listening and through this capacity to accept the other, um, it was possible for young people to, not just in the silence, but also in their relations, in when, even when in sport, when they lost mm. and when they won particularly, their responses were completely different from what I'd experienced before. No triumphalism, just joy yes. uh, and a capacity to, um, to, to accept that if, if you lost, there would be a good reason. Um, I mean, often they just weren't as good and yes. so on. But um, there's, there was a degree of, of tolerance and understanding that emerged from those periods of quiet 
because it, it's not the case in a Quaker a school that one activity always follows another without a break. Some lessons would begin with silence, just maybe two or three minutes of silence, um, while pupils settled and became calm and left all their baggage outside the classroom. Yeah. And maybe the teacher too. Uh, and and even after an, an, an argument, because uh, there are arguments even in Quaker schools, um, sometimes silence uh, was extremely useful then if... if um, once the argument was getting nowhere uh, and young people could be uh, encouraged um, just to s let's sit quietly for a few moments and yes. reflect on what what we've heard from each other yes. and it's extraordinary how after a few moments four or five minutes of just sitting quietly um, the next time you open your mouth different things come out well, I must say, I am increasingly um, persuaded of the role of silence in reconciliation and reconstruction. I mean, it seems to me that you get to a point where talking doesn't do any good and fighting doesn't do any good. and But getting people together in silence does seem to have an effect. Um, among your other perspectives on silence is that you're a musician. So um, as a conductor, um, what do you think about the relationship between music and silence in commemoration? Uh, I've thought a lot about it, but not not so much in until um, we, we were going to meet about the the role of silence in commemoration. Yes. In uh, the role of silence in music, I've 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 often reflected on. Um, uh, there's there's a book by Daniel Barenboim called Everything Is Connected, where he speaks. Um, I mean, so uh, accessibly mm. uh, on the nature of silence and how music is surrounded by music comes out of silence there's always silence before the music begins and after it ends and he he writes at length about how these these silences are are integral to the the experiencing of the music um, uh, and i've I, mean, I wish i could express myself as well as daniel barenboim but there have been moments when um silence let's say, after a piece of music, um, before the conductor's arms come down, yeah. when that's almost like a, a code, a signal to the audience just to shut up for a little bit, wait, don't rush into that hysterical applause and cheering, yeah. um, which, uh, I mean, watching the proms is a, is a really good example of what can go well and what can go terribly wrong with the enthusiasm of people to yeah. express themselves with doing something. And yet, just to wait for what is effectively only seconds yeah. after a piece of music, uh, to me, enhances the whole of the musical experience. Can be absolutely spellbinding, I think. Completely. Yeah. Completely. When I went to see, you've reminded me, of, of, it wasn't a prom, actually. It was a, a semi-staged performance of Billy Budd, Britain's Opera. Mm. Um, and at the very end, um, the, uh, the captain, I can't remember his name now, You'll, you'll know, the captain quietly, having recognised uh, the, the, the tragedy, mm -hmm. how, how it was Billy Budd's silence that led to the, the, the tragedy, yes. he walked off stage uh, from the front, from near the podium, all the way across the Royal Albert Hall stage and off down one of the corridors, and the silence was held. Mm. Held is the word Quakers often use for silence. Mm. And the whole of the, I don't know how many thousands there were there, were held in that silence while the 
uh, the captain, full of regret and remorse, just walked slowly off. Yeah. And that was part of the part of the music, although mm. there was no music. Yeah. Um, yeah. And another moment that uh, that I've always cherished. Um, uh, I remember from the first time I sang Talis's forty-part motet, uh, Spermin Allium, a short mm-hmm. psalm text, but uh, gradually it just begins with two voices, as you know, and then another comes in and mm. over the top, and then eventually a, the bass comes in underneath, and the, there's a choir of five voices, and then another one comes in, and after all these combinations of choirs one and two, and choirs one and eight, and one, two, three, and four, and then five, six, seven, the whole thing builds up to a number of climaxes, uh, and then after one of those, um, there's a, a pause, a silence for a beat or two, mm-hmm. a rest, mm-hmm. uh, and that's just before the final words are sung by this massed choir, Respice um, Hubilitatem Nostrum look upon God, look upon our our humility. Mm. Um, and that moment of silence, when, when the, the, the world has stopped, you've had this extraordinary sound of 40 separate voices, mm-hmm. and it stops just for a moment. The, if it, you're in the right sort of uh, venue, the echo dies away. Yeah. And then there's still silence, and then the choir comes in again. And without that silence, uh, the meaning of the text... <laughs> wouldn't be anything like as intense as it is, however beautiful the music. Yeah. So in that one moment of, of again, it's only seconds, Kate, isn't it? Absolutely, Not long, yeah. but it's almost an infinite few seconds Yeah. before the music uh, continues. Again, it's a continuum of which the silence is an integral part. I think what you were saying about what verb to use is very interesting. I've been using keeping <coughs> to keep ah, yes. for keeping silence. Um, but I like the idea of holding silence as well. Keeping is a kind of um, safekeeping almost of mm. silence, um, which is more expressive than, than being silent or going silent, I suppose. That's very interesting. I, I've not thought about that. But what you said um, intrigues me because the verb keeping, of course, is an active verb. We keep a silence or a silence is mm-hmm. kept. A silence is kept. We're not kept but the silence is kept by us. Yes. I've never thought about this before. You've, you've opened my mind, <coughs> Kate. Always, whereas held uh, is different. It is, it, I'm using my hands here, it's, it's a sort of nurturing. Yes. And everyone in a Quaker meeting is held in the silence, mm. brought together, but not forcibly. Uh, but held, I think, is, it is a good word. Mm. And it conveys that sense of the silence supporting us Yes. Because in that silence, it isn't just us gathered there. It's not just those who might minister, but you are there in the presence of God and held in that moment. Uh, I'd never thought about this till you mentioned yes. it. I'm so glad you yes. did. It's interesting, isn't it? Um, my last question is, um, whom do you think is silenced in current commemorative practices? So thinking about what we do nowadays, and I'm thinking of official kinds of commemoration, sort of state commemoration that we sort mm. of thing we watch on the BBC. Um, do you think silencing is going on in those commemorations? Uh, silencing and silenced terribly interesting that that active verb mm. um, which normally i think is is has negative connotations mm. um, you will be silenced gagged yes uh, and um, current commemorative practices to use your phrase if that refers to the two minutes which um, i i i mean I, I 
I barely breathed and the two minutes are over after my time with Quakers. But if if that's what we are doing, people are, they are kept silent. They are told to be silent. Mm. Um, and um, uh, hmm. I, I don't know how how uh, effective that that now is. I'm sure when it when we, we talked about this at that Saturday mm. um, workshop, mm. when the idea of a silence was brought in uh, that first time after the First World War, uh, I have no doubt that it was profoundly powerful. Mm. Uh, I I think it's become probably uh, so institutionalized now and so ritualized, mm. um, and it, there's almost now a hierarchy of silence. Yes. And some people get uh, a one-minute silence, maybe yes. at a football stadium, as we talked about, or elsewhere. Yes. Uh, others might get two, or an event might deserve two. Sometimes it's three, as if to say to the public, look, this is really important. This yes. is worth more than two minutes. Yes. And yet, uh, I, I mean, it can't be. When you think what the original two minutes were commemorating, it's hard to think of anything more. Um so I, 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 I've thought a lot about this since we started our conversations mm. over the recent weeks. Um, and um, I, I'm sure that, that we are right, you're right to suggest that we are, as, as participants in those silences, we are silenced because we are being told, mm. even if nobody says it, we are being told not to speak mm-hmm. during that time. Uh, we're not told what to do in the silence. There's an implication that um, if you've got half a brain, you'll remember the dead. Uh, but but um, nobody leads that. And then it mm. finishes either with, often it finishes, I don't know, often may be wrong, but sometimes it finishes with, with cannon fire, mm. which has always struck me yes. as perverse. Yes. Sometimes it finishes with last post, Yes. which is intensely moving, uh, but reminds us of, of the, the militarism and the war. It's a an extraordinary melody last post yeah. and when it there's the last two notes die away very powerful um sometimes when we have silences in football stadiums as we heard the other day it's it ends with the referee's whistle and then immediately there's this outpouring of cheers and and clapping mostly tribal then as each yes. half of the stadium immediately reverts to their own um enmity yes. and hatred visceral hatred of the lot yes, sitting at the yes, other yes. end of the stadium yeah so i think it's it's missing a lot now and it's become um uh, it, it's become such an institution that there, it won't be long before we have a four minute silence for something um and yet uh, when i sometimes in the silences and i think of other mass catastrophes um and your verb silenced mm. um i now think of two other um Two other, well, three other things, if, if I may, just very briefly. Mm. One is the silence that I experienced um, when visiting Auschwitz. Yeah. And thinking then, uh, as, as we, we all have done for 70 years, how do you commemorate that? Uh, and in the end, there is only silence after the Shoah. There, there's, there's nothing, although millions of words have been said and spoken and sung, mm. all right, correct, it's what we should do. And yet in the end... Uh, there's only silence that can begin um, to respond to the Shoah. Uh, the, the second um, uh, issue or event is, is a smaller scale, but that's all it's smaller in, not in its 
catastrophic consequences. And that refers to um, your, your verb silenced. Mm. And that's um, following my visit to Sarajevo and yeah. meeting the, the communities there, the, 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 the Orthodox community, the Catholic um, community, the, the Muslim community, the Jewish community, um, and, and hearing particularly from the Muslims and the Orthodox um, of their understanding of history, their narrative, um, which takes no account, even now, of the narrative of the other, and uh, even in their uh, separate um, education systems, are, are silencing the other in their textbooks, in their teaching yeah. of history, in their teaching of what happened in the 1990s, um, uh, of their teaching that, that the massacre of the Muslims was in fact a reprisal for something that happened, uh, I think, in the 14th century, uh, the memories are, are frightening.ly Long yes. memories, good memories, vital. Um, but in Sarajevo and, and Bosnia, uh, I found there a, a, a horrific example of the misuse of memory yeah. and the perpetuation of half a truth, not yeah. the whole truth. Yeah. And and can I have I got mm, time just to mm. give you one other example from yeah. a very recent experience? Um, uh, from a work that was written by Carl Davis, the composer, Carl mm -hmm. Davis. He wrote a few years ago called Last Train to Tomorrow. It's a it's a, a, a three-quarters of an hour work for children and adult choruses, and, which I, I conducted last year with Carl Davis playing the piano. And he himself has thought a lot about this. It's a, it's a very moving work about the kinder transport. Mm. And after our performances of it with children, um, he, he said, and he's now been working on, um, another number to put in a revision uh, um, for the parents of the, ch the children, the parents who put their children on the trains in yeah. Vienna or Prague or Berlin um, and and sent them off to, uh, in most cases, safety mm -hmm. in Britain, mm -hmm. 10,000 children, knowing that they would never see them again. And Carl Davis hadn't put anything about them in the work. It was all about the, the children yes. uh, and the, the historical setting. So he's now written another um, musical number to go in the next performance um, to be sung by the parents on the platform once the children have gone. So in a sense, they were they've been inadvertently silenced. Yeah. There are memorials to the kinder all over Europe, but there's now one for the parents as well in Prague. That's amazingly moving. Yeah. It is. I found it so. Yeah. And it's a it's a recognition that that there is a group there that yeah. that felt it. And died, of course, because the parents on the whole didn't survive. Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't about them. But it is actually about them, and we should remember them too. Yeah. It's an infinitely difficult question. It is. And on that note, we should um, stop. John, thank you so much. That was absolutely fascinating. Thank you for the conversation, Kate. Thank you.